Welcome back to another episode of Fret Buzz the Podcast. My name is Aaron Sefchik. I'm Joe McMurray. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Chris Graham. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm pumped to hang out with you guys today. Awesome. Glad to have you. Yeah, this is going to be great. Yeah. Uh, If you don't know who uh, Chris is, he runs uh, ChrisGrahamMastering.com. He's also one of the hosts on the Advice Buffet over over at the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Um, Giving out tons of great information weekly, every Tuesday. It's amazing. These guys have a great um, rapport with each other. It's, It's a great show. If you haven't subscribed... I definitely suggest that you go over there and subscribe. It's a really good show. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Great Um, advice, even if you're not into mastering. Just business, good business advice. Yeah, it's true. No matter what business really you're in, it's uh, truth bomb after truth bomb (laughs) after truth bomb. uh, I credit the editing for that. So we we cut out the stupid stuff and... (laughs) <laughs> leave in the, the occasionally smart stuff that needs to be edited together to sound smart right right <laughs> yeah, it, it works whatever you do yeah it's it's really a good show um so yeah uh what i would like to just kind of jump right into is yeah. uh since you do and you have been um mastering if you could just give us a little bit of um a backstory on what you how you came to be what you are now and then i would actually like to get into a little bit about the mystery behind mm. mastering it just seems to be an ongoing thing year after year after year that it's this <laughs> mysterious voodoo yeah really it really is but yeah a little bit of backstory if you would yeah well my story is i was born and raised in a pretty musical family but it was all like classically trained like nerd music and stuff and <laughs> and awesome. i uh for my 13th birthday this is a little bit of a dramatic story so I'll, I'll lighten it up after i explain all this but on my 13th birthday my dad moved out and I got a guitar for my birthday. And it was this really intense, like, oh, my dad doesn't live here anymore, and now I have an electric guitar. (laughs) Uh, Right. And so it was, the guitar for me was this really important part of my life that I would just, like, kind of process the shitstorm that was my life. It was an Electra. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Electras, but it was, like, two humbuckers in a single coil in the middle. And yep. push pull pots for days. So like Strat, Tally, whatever you Les Paul, whatever you wanted to do with the Electra, you could. But I wasn't smart enough to know that that's that it was a pretty cool guitar. Right. And so eventually, I like took it all apart and tried to paint it gold, and that didn't work. And I like put leather on it. It was really dumb. Oh, wow. It was. I totally ruined it. Do you still have it? No. Oh. I I threw it away. I really wish I did. But like yeah. I like wood burned like the top of it. It was just like classic 13, 14 year old stupid stuff. Right. Right. And so ended up eventually buying another guitar. But, but so my story kind of starts there with the guitar and I started making up songs and learning how to play better and eventually performing later on in high school, but basically like didn't play for anybody for like six years right. and just practiced and wrote. And then eventually got, um, started getting into acoustic guitars as well. And, started playing for people and it was crazy because like all of a sudden girls were like oh who's he and i was like this thing is awesome i'm right. going to be i'm going to become better at this instrument <laughs> and uh so really kind of leaned into that and then when i went to college my freshman year um they had open mics and the open mic for those of you guys that don't know it's like a coffee shop or a bar or whatever and you sign up on a list and then you get 15 minutes or 30 minutes to do anything you want on stage and so I'd bring a guitar, I'd share some songs, and it was awesome. It was like I was finally home for the first time. Yeah. And so that got that went really, really well, and I made a CD and decided I would be a music production major at my college so I could record my CDs for free and ended up starting to do like shows and sell these CDs. And I was like, this is like 2001, 2002, Right, right around there. So it's at the absolute like tail end of CDs. Yeah. So this was like the golden era for a singer-songwriter because you have no overhead. It's just you. It would ju- just be me like on stage playing and singing. I do a lot of looping and stuff, looping pedals and, st- and whatnot. 
And then I'd sell my CD afterward and I didn't have to share the money with anybody because it was just me. Right. And this was at the end of the golden era of CDs where someone would be like, hey, I like that one song. Here's $15. Right. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. this is great. Yeah. So um, I eventually started uh, producing other singer-songwriters. Okay. And, you know, I would take all the money I would get from CD sales and I'd sink those back into gear. And this was sort of on the very beginning of, like, being able to buy, like, portable computer-based recording gear. So I bought a, it was a Motu 828. It was like one of the first, yep. uh, it's a Firewire box and you could plug it right into your laptop and record anywhere. And so my shtick was, I was like the portable producer basically. Right. And I should have called myself that, that <laughs> that's got a good ring to it. It's got right. Alliteration. Alliteration. Absolutely. And, uh, so I would record these singer songwriters and then I would pretend I could mix and hire a mastering engineer most of the time, some of the time. Are you and, still are you still performing throughout all this? Yeah, still performing throughout all this, and it, that's how I would would win clients. Right, is people would see me at a show and they'd be like, "Wow, he can sound good on a stage. I bet he could work in a recording studio with me." <laughs> and it was like, mm, maybe, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and so, anyways, I ended up um, getting a bunch of projects through that, and I. I, there was this guy, Ed Cash, who was a producer in Nashville, who I was like obsessed with. I just thought he was the coolest guy in the world. And he was an all singing, all dancing producer. So he would do like the writing, performing on the record. He'd record the record. He'd mix the record. And like the only outsourcing he would do, he'd hire, he'd hire a mastering engineer at the very end. Okay. And so I heard about him, got to know him a little bit, got to know his little brother a little bit and was like, I, I want to do this and I'll do all of the things and make records. And the problem with that was I got I was pretty bad at all the things. And even once I was okay at all the things, it's still hard to make a record when you're only okay at like five people's full-time job. Right. And but anyways, it was just this thing of like I, you know, would perform, I'd sell CDs, I'd make a record for somebody, one of their friends would then hire me to make a record for them, one of their friends would hire me to make a record for them, and so on and so forth. And occasionally what would happen was we'd re- you know, get all the songs written, get them all arranged, get them all recorded, get them all produced, get them all mixed. The mixes would be approved and the client would say, I, I don't have any more money. You're, you're going to have to master this yourself. And mastering is essentially the mix is done. All the individual tracks sound great and it's not loud enough yet. It's not polished and it usually only sounds good in like one or two sets of speakers. It doesn't necessarily sound good in all speakers yet. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so that's kind of mastering. It's like you send it to some weird nerd like me and I make it compatible with all headphones and speakers, sort of. And so what would happen is like my clients, my production clients would run out of money and I'd be like, oh crap, I I, I guess I'll master it myself, which is like the hardest thing you can possibly do. It's to do all the things and then to like hold the keys to the finish line. Uh, it's just really, really stressful because inevitably you're like, I'm going to go change the mix again. Okay, now I'm going to master again. Okay, I'm going to go change the mix again. Okay, now I'm going to master again. I'm going to go, and just again and again and again and again. Let's add a bridge to this song. It's just like never ending. It's just this black hole of despair. And so I had to learn how to master so that the records I had like spent like months on were at least decent sounding. Right. uh, For my clients, I couldn't just be like, oh, we'll just release the mixes and not the masters. And what ended up happening was I fell in love with the process of mastering. And I started asking friends of mine that were producers, hey, can I master a record you've already released? You know, can I just, I'm looking for stuff to practice with. And I would send them back what I did and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you're you're better than our mastering engineer. Here, we're going to hire you. And that just sort of snowballed. And then eventually I came up with an idea for a website, uh, which is now chrisgrammastering.com. And the idea was, uh, hey, what if I put like my unmastered files and my mastered files on the website and I had this cool player and you'd press play and you could switch back and forth while the song was playing and hear it mastered and unmastered. Then people could listen to that and be like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I want my songs that to be done to my music. Yeah. So I had the idea for that website, totally lucked out and knew a guy capable of building this. Yeah. And at the time, nobody had ever done this before. It was, as far as I could tell, I was the first guy that ever had a, a mastering website that did this. It's since been copied many times. But um, launched that, got really heavy into marketing, um, and just did a bunch of free samples for people. Just advertised, like, hey, send me a song, I'll do a free sample. Send me a song, I'll do a free sample. Yeah. And my kind of story started to get weird there. Um, 
it took off really, really fast. Mastering business did. And I could not handle the work. It was way too much work. And I kind of had like a little mini freak out and reached for, finally was like, you know, I can't do this. Mm. Reached for a book that had been sitting on my couch behind me in this room uh, that had been sitting there for three months racking up late fees. And it was this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Picked it up and was like, I don't have time to read this whole book. Maybe I'll just read chapter five. That sounds interesting. Went to the coffee shop, read chapter five, and all of a sudden was like, wait a minute. There's like good stuff in books to like <laughs> teach you how to make money and stuff and yeah. not have a business that is drives you crazy. So I, it was this like instant addiction. And I've read, I don't even know how, maybe like four or five or six or seven dozen business books. And uh, just kind of like really fixated on that. And as I became better at figuring out how to be efficient and how to run my business well and how to not be uh, a dick to my customers, the business grew a lot. And I'm, I've mastered, I don't know how many tens of thousands of songs at this point. Wow. And so I met Brian, uh, <laughs> who is the co-host of our podcast, Six Figure Home Studio. And we both had like, had, had an addiction to business books. And so we just sort of bonded over that and we're like, Hey, like, let's do a podcast together. His idea, not mine. And, uh, we started doing it just for fun just cause we love talking about business nerd stuff and audio stuff. Yeah. And, uh, the podcast like exploded and there's thousands of people, of audio engineers that listen to it. And I am sort of along for the ride and just trying to figure out what that means <laughs> for my life. But it's been really, really cool. Like, uh, yeah. Tons and tons of mastering projects come off that podcast now. Um, a bunch of other opportunities, business opportunities and friendships. And it's been crazy. So the past year has been this nuts thing of like, I don't have to market myself anymore. Right. right. Mm, and so, yeah, that's sort of my story. It's just like, um, it's, well, it's a, it's like a piece of my story, but the, the, the rest is super long and boring. But yeah, so now I'm like a podcaster riding the wave of this awesome revolution that is podcasting. And I just want to do it all day long. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's uh, awesome to, that the recording community is actually coming together. I know you get, you've had people like Graham Cochran on your show and as well as like Matt Boudreau, yeah. um, all those, all these top tier guys in terms of the podcasting space and the recording industry space. It's, it's, and it's, like we were talking about on the last podcast, it's very much a family and community oriented kind of thing going on where oh, yeah. everybody's kind of like um, helping each other out. You know, it's, it totally. is very much a, a camaraderie and it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. There, there isn't. So like Matt Boudreau does working class audio, the working mm -hmm. class audio podcast yep. and Lid Shaw yep. does the recording studio Rockstars podcast, two of the probably biggest, a podcast for audio engineers that are out there, two out of three at least. Yes. And uh, so Brian and I actually met through Matt and Lidge. And so they kind of gave us this vision for like what podcasting could look like. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, we'll try. And Matt and Lidge are like family. Like they have been so helpful for us as we figured out like what does it mean to have a podcast? Yeah. And yeah, it is like there's absolutely zero competition, even in spite of the fact that like we're all kind of, Matt and Lidge definitely have sponsors. We're exploring having sponsors, <laughs> but there's no weirdness there at all. Like these, like I talk to them a couple times a week usually. Yeah. And uh, man, it's, it's been great. It's been such a healthy family environment. Yeah. That's great. Now do you guys have different, I haven't listened to those other podcasts. Do they have a, a different angle at the whole yeah. audio engineering thing? It's not mastering in business. Yeah. So they're, they're, Matt's is sort of a, a, a work-life balance thing, but mostly interviewing other audio engineers about that. Yeah. Lidge is interviewing other audio engineers and just talking shop um, with them. Okay. Both of their shows are, are incredible, and I highly recommend them. You guys should check them out. Um, as far as we know, like there's no other like business-only recording studio resource out there. So like we kind of lucked out. Like We came up with this concept, and there's like n no blogs, no YouTube channels, no podcasts. Yep. And it was like, we're, we're it for, from a business standpoint. And like other people talk about business sometimes, but nobody is like, Hey, 
we don't want to talk about preamps. We don't want to talk about microphones <laughs> unless there's a business component to that other than like, this microphone sounds better than that microphone. Yeah. That sort of thing. Can't do that on the six figure. You get the, uh, the gear slut alert, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we came up with this idea of like, if if you go full nerd and you start talking that stuff, then there's like a like a submarine alarm, I yep. guess, or something like that that goes off. And uh, just to be like, you can't, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> that much yeah, it's comical <laughs> well yeah so you guys have a different the fact that lidge and matt aren't they're not directly competing with you they're actually by making audio engineering you know having multiple podcasts about it, it seems like it makes audio engineers just dive even deeper into the podcasting world totally you know if you have multiple podcasts that you're into it just makes you always listening to podcasts probably Totally. Well, and I would say to all of all of your listeners, I would guess that all of them have the same problem. All podcast listeners have the same problem. And it's not that I don't have enough time to listen to podcasts. Mm. We all have enough time because podcasting is the only thing you can do other than the radio that you can multitask at. Correct. You yes. know, like I can be like, I'm doing the dishes or I'm mowing mm -hmm. the lawn or I'm working out and yep. I'm listening to a podcast. So there's zero shortage of time with podcasting. And a huge shortage of podcasts. Yeah. There's w there's nowhere near enough niche podcasts out there. And I think we're really uh, in this weird spot where what you guys are doing is probably one of the best investments you can make because this podcast in five years could be huge, especially as podcast gets more popular every day. Yep. That's freaking exciting. Yeah. We're on the precipice of something and it really, yeah. it, it is happening right now. Yeah, I mean, we are just at the hockey stick part of the growth curve. Yes. We, like, it just started to be like, whoa, what's Joe Rogan doing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Whoa, what's, you know, what's, have you guys listened to Conan O'Brien's podcast? No. Yeah. Incredible. It's like they're setting a new bar for how entertaining a podcast can be. But it's, it's this, it is this fascinating thing where, like, all of a sudden, let's take Joe Rogan, for example. Yeah. I, I love his show, and it's got kind of something for everybody. If Joe Rogan ran for president, he he has a shot at winning because he talks in a mic every day, but he doesn't work for a company or anything. He just like does it on his own. Yeah. And it it is this weird thing where we're seeing the power of this of this medium like just take over. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh I mean I years back I'd always heard about podcasting, but it wasn't until I started actually diving into it a, just a little bit deeper and started finding, wow, this is radio directed towards me. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's weird. There's, there's a book. To, sorry if I'm going too deep down the nerd hole for you. No, guys, you go as far as you want, Chris. <laughs> we love going down that hole. <laughs> so there's, there's a book called The Long Tail, and it's about, it's about 10, 15, 10, 11 years old. But the idea is that the internet has enabled types of content that were really specific, like really nerdy, only like very highly niched down mm. to be profitable and like plausible to make. You know, back in the day, like there was no sense in doing anything that couldn't be mass market. Like it was all Friends and Seinfeld and right. NSYNC and Britney Spears. And like we all basically listen to the same stuff and watch the same shows. Now there's this huge opportunity because of the internet to be like, well, we have a show that's like for um, guitarists that are left-handed, you know? Right. Like you, like you could probably make a show for left-handed guitarists and you'd have an audience because it's accessible. That wasn't possible 10 or 15 years ago. And podcasting is so exciting because the, the niches, there's just so many unexplored, like, niches that people would go nuts for. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love podcasting. I have, unfortunately, I have a two-hour two commute every day, and that, I mean... You guys are obviously on Tuesday mornings and <laughs> I mean, I have my schedule of all of the, my podcasts. They're almost all recording related, but um, yeah, I love it. It's, 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 it just fills your, and rather than listening to music, which I've done for, you know, and everybody has just listened to music for years and years and years. It's, it's nice to be able to listen to something that's educational and entertainment as well. Yeah. 
there's like a you don't feel guilty or like dirty after you right. listen to a podcast You're like i just self-improved myself <laughs> yeah a little bit yes pat on the back yeah. i can even if i do nothing today i don't have to feel that bad yeah. about who i am and there's the there's the there's the there are those times when i come home at night um and i park my car in my garage and i've done this with you guys multiple times where huh. i just sit there in the car and I listen to the rest of the episode. I'm I'm not going inside because I want to finish this. I want to hear what they have to say. Whoa. Oh yeah. You, you drove two hours to work, two hours home, and then sat in the car to finish a podcast. That's amazing. Yeah, oh yeah. True dedication. Oh yeah. yeah. Dude, tell me what podcast you're into. I'm I'm s i am i am I don't have as nearly as much time as you do to <laughs> to, to search to find. So I'm like excited to hear like what do you love? Like what are your favorite shows? <laughs> it's funny you guys are like one of my top three i oh. i i definitely enjoy Thanks, the banter man. between you and brian and that's no joke i you have this natural and it, yeah it is editing obviously but at the same time <laughs> um brian is very um you could tell he He's a bit of a jokester at times, but he's very, he is definitely focused. Uh, whereas you are the man with all the voices and, <laughs> and you just are, uh, you know, you're just a joke. You like to joke around. And yeah, uh, I think maybe that has to play a little bit into, and I don't know, but you've got kids and you play with your kids playing Fortnite and you're just a dad kind of guy. Whereas Brian just got married and he's just starting to go down that route. And I, I personally identify with you a lot because you've got huh. that quirkiness. So I, that's why I enjoy you. Plus you guys have the way that you structure your podcast. Um, the advice buffet hmm. um, is it's, I like the way that you kind of put it out there. It's, it's, um, you, no matter who you are, you can always pick up a little bit of information from every single episode. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, I'm going to say something so weird. Like yeah. I, I have no, I, I have no idea why our podcast is popular. You know, like I, I sort of understand it, but yeah. I've been learning a lot about podcasting and, and that like it really is the content's a piece of it, but it's the relationship with the people yeah. that do the podcast. And podcasting is almost like a it's like a virtual friendship. Yeah. Almost. You know, like because it's it's a voice in your head and it feels like you're there and it's authentic in a way that no other type of media is. Yeah. So I'm still kind of like learning, even as you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess we do kind of cover a lot of bases. Yeah. Maybe that's why we've yeah. been popular. So yeah, like I'm just, I'm absolutely just still a student of all this, of like yeah. figuring out like what on earth is happening. You know, like people are getting, let's go back to Joe Rogan for a moment because his podcast is one of the most popular in the world. People are getting tattoos of his face. Yeah. Like every day somebody got a tattoo of Joe Rogan's face. Because the dude talks in a mic about stupid stuff with random people and people are in love with him. It's so weird. I'm fascinated. Just to answer your question, um, I listened to the mastering show with uh, Ian Shepard. I know Ian. Yep. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Very cool guy. Uh, I listened to social media marketing with Michael Stelzer. Okay. Uh, he talks about, I mean, he's one, he just had a huge conference that all the top uh, social media marketing people went to. Um, I listened to Pat Flynn. Oh, yeah. Pat he's, Flynn's He's awesome. amazing. Oh, he really is. He had yeah. an episode uh, 187, I want to say, but it, okay. was, it was about laddering up. Yeah. And it, uh, have you listened to that episode? You know what I'm talking yep. about? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I listened to it twice. <laughs> it, like, really, it really blew my mind, this idea of like building a business and then building another business and then building another business and just... Anyways, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Um, I listened to Video Creators with Tim Schmoyer. Okay. So that's a, he's like one of the top guys on YouTube and how to make sure that you're doing the best you can do and what to expect in the future for YouTube because they're always changing their algorithms. Um, the Six Figure Home Studio. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that one. Yeah, I've heard of that one too. Yeah. Uh, Working Class Audio with Matt. Of course, wonderful podcast. Um, URM. Um, I would suggest to you, um, if you're since you're a sound guy, 
There's a podcast out there called 20,000 Hertz. I've heard of it. I haven't listened yet. It's amazing. It's really, really good in terms of the production value and what they do with each episode. Um, Dallas Taylor, he's what they do is just really good. It's each episode is a journey and they explore all kinds of things from like ASMR to the THX sound at the beginning of movies and where that came from. And it's, it's one of my top podcasts. I'm going to check that out for, I'm trying to spread my wings a little wider as far as the variety Mm -hmm. of podcasts I listen to. I don't really listen to a very large number. I'm a huge fan of Akimbo. It's Seth Godin's podcast. Yep, that, Seth Godin. Dude, that show's amazing. Seth's and I love awesome. Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. And then I also listen to, occasionally, Perpetual Traffic. Oh. Uh, it's like a marketing podcast. A, lo- okay. a lot of like paid advertising and stuff like that. But I, don't, I haven't been doing that much paid advertising lately, so I've, I've kind of pulled away from that. But <laughs> Seth Godin's Akimbo, I'm obsessed with. And then also, um, I... About a year ago, I decided I wanted to have an office in addition to my studio so that I could master in one place, and this would be like the dojo where right. I podcast and make music sound pretty. And then I wanted somewhere else where I was doing everything else so that it sort of didn't like overlap, kind of kept this as like a creativity space. Yeah. So I got an office with this guy that lives in my hometown. Oh, yeah. You've, you've talked about this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his name is Andy J. Miller. He goes by Andy J. Pizza. And he has a podcast called Creative Pep Talk. And you're going to have him on the show, aren't you? Yeah, I, I think Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. It's coming yeah. out. Yeah. And uh, so we met, and he's like one of my best friends now. Awesome. And it was this weird thing of like his podcast is a business podcast for creatives. And I was like, that's the weirdest thing in the world that you would live in the same town. There's like right. only a couple people on earth doing any kind of like where the arts and business meet like yeah. that intersection. And that's like my, that's why I'm obsessed with that. That's my sweet spot. That's the only place I want to be all day long. Yeah. And so we met and have just really hit it off. And his podcast is creative pep talk. Like, like I said, and it's sort of this, um, really whimsical, goofy, you can quit your job and do what you're passionate for a living at. And so it's been really fun hanging out with him. It's, it's been great because that his podcast I think I want to say Brian and I are probably at like two hundred fifty thousand downloads. Mm-hmm. Andy's at like four million. Oh, wow. <laughs> my gosh, he, he's a heavy hitter. So it's been cool. I've learned a ton about like what the heck is happening with podcasting just by hanging out with him a lot. Yeah, he's great. And where, where do you guys live? Ohio, just north Ohio. of Columbus, okay. Ohio. Okay. What about you guys? Uh, I'm in Northern Virginia. Okay. I'm in Virginia Beach. Awesome. I, I used to live up in Northern Virginia. Aaron and I worked together at one point. Yeah. That's Played awesome. the band together, and yeah, here we are. Yeah. The George Washington National Forest in uh, Northern Virginia is one of my favorite places on Earth. I just, I, I'll never ever get enough of those woods. It's so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, up in in Ohio, uh, I went to school um at chillicothe at the recording workshop oh no way yeah i'm familiar with them i know a ton of people that have gone there they've got an excellent reputation yeah jakir king of course Um, yeah but yeah i tried to get both jim and um jeff on the show i've reached out to them and try to get them on the show i think that would be a great episode for people to kind of hear what their story is and I I personally really like the idea of what they're doing versus something like full sale. Totally agree. Um, Cause totally agree. I think that you can rack up a, a big debt on something with full sale versus these guys you're in, you're out and you can apply all those ideas right away. Yeah. And Brian and I, anyone that's ever listened to our show knows that we have mixed emotions about uh, audio school. Yeah. And, the older I get, the less mixed those emotions become and the more <laughs> frustrated I am. Like there's a systemic issue in our country when it comes to going to school for the creative arts. Mm. And so audio school is one of those things where, you know, I, I got an audio degree and it was fun. I really enjoyed college. I would absolutely do college again in a heartbeat. But one of the problems is that when you enter a major like audio or you go to a private school, you know, that's extremely expensive, like uh, soul fail, excuse me, <laughs> wholesale <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 university. 
uh, you know, you're going to rack up 60, 70, maybe even $80,000 of the debt doing that. And nobody tells any of these students, FYI, our job placement rate is less than 1%. Right. Or less than 5%, let's say. Let's be really generous with them. There's just not jobs out there. If you want to do audio for a living, you need to start a business. You know, there's only a couple jobs. And even if you can get one of those jobs, because so many people have an audio degree, you're going to be competing with a bunch of people, which means the wage is going to be itty bitty. Yeah. It's going to be very tiny. And we actually have it better here in the States than in Great Britain. I just recently found out, we haven't even mentioned this on our podcast yet, there's a giant company over there that owns almost all the studios. And if you want to get in there, you have to work for free for years as an unpaid intern. Oh, my. Before you have a shot at a paid gig. I didn't know that. Yeesh, right? Wow. And so my thing, like we're down a rabbit hole. servitude. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. It is. It's indentured servitude. So um, I just learned this the other day with this guy I've been hanging out with, and that kind of blew my mind. And I, I wish that there was like a requirement in our country where if you take out especially student debt mm. and you do a major that's like, hey, your odds of getting a job, your odds of taking an investment and having it pay off are this, you know, like this audio degree won't necessarily make you run a better audio business. Right. Or it might not help you get a job because there are none. There needs to be something in our country where if the government's going to underwrite a student loan that they say, hey, you have to sign this release form that says me and my mom and dad who are co-signers on this agreement acknowledge that I will almost certainly not get a job as a result right. of this nearly six-figure investment. Right. It's unbelievable that that's not a normal thing in our country. There's, a, there's definitely like some sort of weird industrial education complex that's tricky. Yeesh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I just pulled it up. Ex episode 68 with Mark Eckhart. Um, oh, I yeah. just, I listened to that. Yeah. The fact that this guy it, it blew my mind that he had the know-how to contact the Berkeley teachers go up there, take private lessons, come home, do it all over again and get a Berkeley education on a private private basis and then spend a fraction of the cost doing so. I was yeah. just like, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was like one of my favorite moments on our whole show because he explained, he was like, you know, when you pay for a Berkeley education, mm. it works out to about $300 an hour for private lessons. Right. But you can hire any of these teachers for like 50 to $70 an hour. Right. And so you can get basically the same education. Because here's the problem. If I was going to hire an audio engineer to work for me, mm. I don't care if they have a degree or not. I care what their last project sounded like. Yeah. And if it sounds amazing and if it's a, with a good band, then I'm like, okay, let's talk. Yeah. But if it's like, oh, I, I graduated first in my class. Cool. Where's your portfolio? Right. Like, let me hear that because I, I don't, that doesn't mean anything. And so it's the same with Berkeley's a little different. Berkeley's I'm sure a much better investment because you can sort of wield that, that brand name. Um, but even then, like no one's going to be like, let's say you, you want to be a musician for a living. You're going to have to audition and you're going to get hired or not based on your ability to play. Right. Right. And if you can do that without a Berkeley education, nobody cares. Like that you don't have a Berkeley education or not. They're not going to be like, well, we tested him pretty hard, but he didn't, I don't know if he would know how to play an 11th chord, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no one's what? ever asked me when I was trying to get a gig if where I went to school. Never yeah. once. Ever, ever. Ever. Yeah. Let me, let me hear your demos, dude. That's, that's it, right? Yeah. yeah. And even then, 15 seconds off. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. Which, and, which is kind of awesome because in our sort of world as music people, we're a meritocracy. Meritocracy is different from aristocracy. Aristocracy means you get the job based on who your parents were. That's, that's like why we quit being British in 1776. And I love the Brits, by the way. I would much rather <laughs> hang out with a Brit than I would an American most of the time. And so, but this idea of a meritocracy is like, well, what can you do? You're, you will be hired based on your merit. And we have this weird thing happening in our country 
where it's not exactly a meritocracy, or at least we don't all believe in a meritocracy. It's almost this like, uh, like degreeitocracy, you know, where it's like, oh well, you have the degree, that's that's enough. Uh, not if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Right. That's gonna that's gonna be you're gonna want to do that. Yeah. But in these other more meritocracy focused businesses, not so much. I'm I'm probably I'm full nerd, so I'll uh. <sighs> Let's back off. Let's talk about something fun. <laughs> I think this is great. We've no. talked about music school with, we've had on Berkeley grads. We've had on one of my professors from George Mason to talk mm. about what it's like to even get into the teaching side of university level music education. We've, well, yeah. we've had, um, Miles went to Berkeley. Yep. In a few weeks, um, we're going to have the Dean of, uh, um, the, what is it? The jazz department. We've got a. We've got a. Don't let him listen to my schedule. episode first, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so That's yeah, awesome. yeah. No, we 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 definitely like to go full nerd. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome because we feel like it's something that a lot of, especially musicians who haven't gone to school, wonder about these things and like, can I make it as a musician if I haven't yeah. gone to school? Like that, it can be something that needs to be talked about. Yeah. Well, know. there's a FOMO there of like oh, yeah. is there an opportunity that i'm going to miss out am i not going to realize my potential the answer might be yes for some people and that's the tricky thing here is it's there's definitely not this idea of like well if you go and get a you know a business degree at your local college you'll definitely get hired by businesses yeah. it's not like that for musicians at all you know like you're basically going to live and die based on your practice ethic and these magical inspirational moments where you had a really cool idea and people loved it, you know, it's sort of this like creativity, uh, it's an epiphany thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a very funny thing. It's very interesting. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You um, often on the, on the show, you talk about how you wish you, it, I'm talking to myself 15 years ago is, what, <laughs> is how you say it. And I, you know, a lot of that plays into what we do here at, at fret buzz is, you know, talking to those of us who wish we had access to that information. I wish yeah. I would have had access to this kind of information uh, as a, as a kid, you know, like it would have, it would have broadened my horizons exponentially i would have had a better idea of what i could have actually done with music in my future i had no idea i had i thought it was being in a band you know that's that's what it was and uh, now that i'm much older i i realize all the opportunities that are actually out there and i think there's a lot of students because i do i have lots of guys going into into high or out of high school into college and they're not really sure what they're going to do with an audio degree because they don't know the opportunities that are actually available out there for them with an audio yeah. degree. What well, do I do with an audio degree? <laughs> that was me. You know, yeah. you, you I, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. And when I graduated high school, I had no idea like, well, what does the job market look like? What is, what does it even look like to have a career mm. in this? Like the like people are, these sort of freshmen are 100% ignorant of the real world yes which is ironic because that's why they're going to get an education but you need to be educated to pick your major mm. there's this weird like catch-22 there and yeah like i i really wish i had done a gap year right out of high school yeah like to just go around and intern and you know go to like i went to nam this past uh winter just cool. even going to something like nam and being like oh huh okay well this is a thing like there's a lot of people making a living doing this and that and this and this and this and this. I would have known so much more and I'm sure I would have made such better decisions. And I almost feel like there's a coming rift in society between people who listen to podcasts or audiobooks or read books mm -hmm. or in some cases watch specific types of educational YouTube content or who take paid courses like privately made, you know, like, uh, Brian's profitable producer course would be a good example of that. My, my co-host that take right. these courses made by specialists, you know, number one guy in their field. There's almost like a rift coming where you've got people who don't consume that sort of educational content and those that do, because if you're consuming that type of educational content all day, every day, or even like 20 minutes a day, yeah. five years from now, you are at a 
totally different place in your wisdom and knowledge than somebody that's just like, oh, I'm going to go home and binge Netflix yeah. all day, you yes. know? Yes. It's interesting. It's a, it's a massive societal change that yeah. people can educate themselves during their commute or while they mow the lawn now. And man, that is just the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. I think that comes with being, I think musicians are especially good at, you know, the, you feel that urge to practice mm. as a musician because you always, you're trying to get better. You're always yeah. trying to get better. And then all this, this self-education stuff plays perfectly into our natural instincts to want to continue to improve. Oh, Joe, I love that. You're absolutely right. Like there is, there is more of an impetus to self-improve as a musician, probably more than, probably more than most other fields on earth. Because yeah. one, there's like an instant gratification when you're like, oh, I just nailed that song by myself yeah. in my bedroom. That's a great <laughs> feeling. Oh, that sounded really gross. <laughs> <laughs> But so true. But so true. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure all of us have been alone with a guitar at one point and you are practicing and you do something amazing that you've never done with feeling and then you you feel good the rest of the day. Yeah. There's a high you get from that. And so one, there's this like driver to have more of those moments. And then two, when, you know, like this was a big driver for me, when you have one of those moments while a pretty girl is watching you. <laughs> you know like my my wife is a babe yeah and we met while i was playing a show like that's how i that's you know there's the only way i convinced her like i might be worth talking to is i was like look at me i can play the guitar <laughs> i can do one of those fast drums it's a triplet all right let's hang out yeah hey my wife came and saw me play an open mic the first day we met Oh, dude, there it is. he stuck with me yeah uh it's such a powerful thing if if i could go back in time to like 11 year old Chris and be like, trust me, this <laughs> it might not make you much money, but it will pay off. Yeah. You're yeah, going to, yeah. this is going to level you up. Like you'll go from like a five to a, to a nine. <laughs> Just work on this stuff, man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I don't know that there's any back to your point about maybe there's not another hobby or profession where the same obsession exists. Like I'm sure athletes have similar level, but it's not as, sustainable i don't think like well it's not as sustainable that... or i'm i'm sorry let me let me hop to this point yeah, in go here ahead. real quick um it's not as with most sports as objective i was also i ran track and cross country in high school amazing sports because they're completely objective did you run four times around the track faster than the last time you ran four times around the track yeah. yes or no but like wrestling it was like oh you lost well but was the guy you wrestled better than the last guy you wrestle, well, maybe like it's, it's totally subjective. Even football is like, eh, like the wind was blowing in the wrong direction or I, whatever. So yeah, th this idea of being a musician, I think drives you towards the objectiveness of, well, I can, I can play this song. I couldn't before, or I had these magical moments. I had two of them today and now I'm having an average of two a day or, you know, whatever, or, or when I show up, when I have a show with my band, a hundred people showed up today versus 40 showed up the last time. There's like yeah. this objective thing where you can look at it and be, and, and look yourself in the, in the eye in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm, I'm getting better at this and this is awesome. And I want to keep going. Yeah. And it's an obsessive thing. I oh, totally, I feel like I can't practice enough. Like there's like no moment where I feel like I shouldn't be practicing. It's almost, it's a curse in a way. Yeah. Like oh, it, totally. There'll, there'll be like a Friday night where I don't have a show and I'm like, I could call my friends and go out or I could practice for three more hours and maybe like learn this song that I've been excited to learn or get really good at this thing. It's, it's kind of a curse. Well, and it's an interesting thing. What hooked me with guitar was the idea of like, I can remember learning the G chord for the mm -hmm. first time. I was 13 years old. I wish I could and, remember that. And I remember this thought of like, huh, I'll probably remember this the rest of my life. Yeah. I get to keep it. Yeah. You know, like you watch a movie and you have these moments of like, have I seen that movie or not? Like 10 <laughs> years later, I'm still going to be playing G chords when I'm 90 years old, man, guaranteed. Yeah. So there is this aspect as, as a musician that like, as you understand it more, you get to keep it. And yeah. that is just, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. 
And coming full circle back to the recording aspect of this, I I was on my way back from a show I played last night and I listened to one of my old band's albums on the oh. way back. And the satisfaction of being able to record something and the the permanence of that yeah. is worth so much more than just the money that you make off that record sale. Like it really is like I was having like some deep feelings. I texted my old bandmates and I was like, man, I was listening to our stuff, remembering the good times. And it's, it's really powerful to be able to record. And, um, and I love that it's becoming more and more accessible to record and we can record at home and oh man, you're, you're capturing these language. memories. You know, you, I could yeah. die tomorrow and at least I recorded that last song and my family can remember me through that. Yeah. Well, like not powerful just- stuff your family, but maybe like 10 generations later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like m- my thoughts are like with my, I'm going to get weepy here, but like I've got a couple CDs in my own music and my kids will listen to that someday. I haven't really showed it to them yet, yep. but like their children's 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 children could be like going through the family tree and be like, Oh, here's great, 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 great grandma, grandma. What? <laughs> <laughs> great, great grandpa, Chris. Uh, here's a song he did. Okay, wow, I kind of feel like I know him a little bit. Yeah. It is this permanent thing. And even in the face of like World War III, like if you uploaded it to iTunes, the way our system works um, or, you know, Spotify or whatever, all of that media is distributed in what's called a CDN. A CDN is a node of servers and the same files exist in multiple positions all over the whole globe so that people can access them faster. So like even if, the earth gets hit by an asteroid, it won't take out all the servers. There's like so, 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 so many of them. And that music, it really is perfect. It, it is etched in better than stone and it's going to be around forever. And that's cool. That is really cool. That's funny. The, the, I was telling you about the 20,000 Hertz podcast. Their last episode was how the gold record was sent on the satellite. Yeah. yeah. And the, the whole episode was on that. Yeah. Now it's going to last forever. And I was oh, like, man. <laughs> I, am, I, I, was, I was thinking about Voyagers. I was, I was like, maybe I'll bring that up. Maybe I won't. But yeah, there, there's a record yep. out beyond the reaches of our solar system yep. flying through space. And, you know, if Star Trek's right, one day Voyager's going to come back. Like, <laughs> Have you guys seen the, um, this? I shouldn't have gone on this road. <laughs> There's a Star Trek movie where like a giant spaceship returns to Earth and almost like kills everybody. And it turns out it was Voyager that encountered this like robot society. And they're like, let's upgrade him. And then they send it back to Earth with like all the information in the known universe. And anyways, it's I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's <laughs> great. Oh, man. Can, can we jump? back to mastering yeah I, yeah i really sure. i'm not as nearly as savvy or as experienced as aaron so i i've been i've self-chosen myself to ask the stupid questions um <laughs> go for it so like i i have my own like i'm running through a focus right um audio interface and i i use ableton on my computer and i you know i i know enough to record what i want and i can make it sound decent I definitely don't think it sounds as good as stuff that my bands have recorded professionally in the past. But mm. when it comes to mastering, like it's still a lot of mystery. I've I know more than I used to, but like I've got this mastering software that came with Ableton, mm. and you know you can it it kind of EQs the final mix a little bit more, and sometimes it can make it it'll tell you like you can choose a wide mix or a you can have more clarity like it they try to make it seem simple is that just not doing anything good at all or is that like is it worthwhile to go through something like that well here's here's the long and short answer to that beautiful um, that's what i want when i when me or any other mastering engineer is mastering a song what's happening is it's kind of like a doctor And the doctor sits with the patient and is trying to figure out how to make that patient as healthy as possible. Mm -hmm. That patient could have any one of millions of issues. And what the doctor is able to do is leverage an awful lot of experience to diagnose and to hopefully fix those issues. Someday, 
there's going to be automated mastering software that's going to be fantastic. But right now, the goal of mastering, or music for that matter, is that when you make a recording, the most objective thing you can measure is how many goosebumps on your left arm <laughs> people get, does the average person get when they listen to that song. And here's the problem there. Like, let me, let me pose a question to you guys. Why do human beings like music? Change your day, change your the way you feel at any given time. How? Why? Why does it do that? I uh, would. I mean, I'm. No, I'm I've, I, I put you guys on the spot. It's a trick question. Nobody has ever figured it out. Yeah, I would it's, assume it has to something to do with our frequency and the whole. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like a whole mystery of like, you know, you can listen to one song that's arguably a great song, you know, all the music theory is gorgeous and, and it's absolutely brilliant, but it doesn't affect you emotionally at all. Right. And then you listen to another song where you're like, oh, this is, doesn't sound good. There's some weird decisions being made. The lyrics are lame. The vocal sounds harsh and you like get weepy and have an emotional connection and get goosebumps on your left arm. We don't have any idea why that happens it's a complete mystery it's this metaphysical thing so to to come back to your question joe when you're working with a mastering engineer the mastering engineer is optimizing if they're good they're optimizing for goosebumps and not just goosebumps but goosebumps to the widest number of people on the widest number of listening back devices so it should sound great on my airpods it should sound great in my home theater system it should sound great in my car and there's a lot of art to this of figuring out like how do I give the most people the most goosebumps and so mastering software is tricky because you can't write software around an undefined goal like evoke the most human emotion mm. it's really really tricky and so for the same reason of like a perfect guitar solo might not evoke any emotion at all but it might be arguably perfect but a different guitar solo that's also arguably perfect might evoke a ton of emotion and we have no idea why there's this totally disparate response to basically the same stuff and so there's an i guess what i'm trying to say is music is extremely mysterious and you know we don't understand a lot of stuff we don't understand gravity or black holes or you know uh dark matter there's all sorts of mystery in the universe and music is still one of them mm. and the best bet the best machine that we have to figure out how to impact the most people emotionally because that's what we're doing with every song right i want to impact the most people emotionally right is to work with somebody who specializes in making decisions that will hopefully make the music impact the most people emotionally a mastering engineer is making those decisions with compression with eq obviously with limiting um, and then with multi-band compression, where stuff gets really crazy. So you've got like this compressor only affects the bass, and yep. this compressor only affects the highs, and so on and so forth. There's like millions of different variables you can adjust when you're mastering a song that can make it 0.1% more emotionally appealing to a human. And it's through making a bunch of these small decisions that you can accomplish something where suddenly the song is a little bit more engaging than it was beforehand. So, like the to answer your your question, Joe, like that software can sometimes work, but the the job of a mastering engineer is to work consistently. Is to be like every single time the song is a better song, in that it makes people more emotional when they listen to it every time they do it. Software just isn't there yet. It might never be. I think it probably will, but I mean, it's just one of these weird things where we don't we don't know the answer to what, why do humans like music? So you can't write software that involves like if then logic statements, which is what you're doing when you're writing software. It's a, it's a bunch of, it's a logic tree. Right. If if the song is louder than this, then do this. If the highs are louder than this, then do this. There's a lot of stuff that can help, but not necessarily consistently. I know that there's a, what, it's a lander? Is that the? Yep, yep. Yeah, I know that, 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 that there's been it's died down a little bit since, but when it came out a couple months ago, um, I know there was a lot of discussion around it. I remember uh, Ian Shepard actually talking about it as well. Um, but yeah. It just doesn't, 
it's just not the same. I mean, it's close. It's getting better, but it's just not the same. Yeah. Well, it, again, it's just this thing of they can't. You can't write software around these things. Right. It it defies. I mean, like if I want to optimize, you know, something like uh, cleaning my house, like vacuuming my floor, like you can write software to be like the goal is that there's no dirt on the floor. You can write a piece of software on that. But if it's the goal is that this type of person would cry when they listen to this song, you can't like you can't quantify that. There's there's no that that's the whole point. Is software you have to have quantifiable variables that you can aim at and program around. So I'm like way into the wild blue yonder of nerdiness and I'm sure I've like ad nauseum answered tried to answer your question, Joe. But no, it, it is helpful. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. I have a, I did, okay. Ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to go too deep. Go ahead. Oh, uh, well, oh. my question was, was, and I'm, I know where I stand on this and I know that there has been debate about this. Um, and I'm, I'm a little older. So um, in terms of mixing where you master or vice versa. Ah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very much in the old school thought of you don't do it. I mean, if you need some space between you and your project and handing it off to somebody else that and who is extremely experienced and that's all they do and their room is tuned to it. And <laughs> I've always been of that school of thought of you, you don't mix or you don't master where you mix. Well, I would say there are these magical beans out there who have turned out great songs that they've mixed and mastered themselves. Oh, I'm sure there is definitely exceptions to the rule. That's for sure. There, there for sure are. So let me say that first. Virtually every hit that's ever been on the radio, with a few exceptions, has been mixed by one guy, mastered by somebody else. Mm. You know, And so this is a normal process. This is how hits have been made. And the thing that's tricky that I really want to point out is when you're mixing and recording yourself, as you should be. This is like one of the greatest times to be alive because we can have a home studio. That's incredible. Yeah. One of the things that's tricky is that when you are comparing your songs to someone else's songs, those songs have almost certainly been professionally mastered. And it's kind of like if you're baking a cake and you don't know how to put the icing on the cake and you compare it to a professionally made cake, you're always going to have this feeling of like, oh gosh, I'm just maybe I just suck. <laughs> and it's frustrating. It's really intense to be like, well, I'm, my band sounds like Foo Fighters. So I'm going to, I'm finished this mix. Now I'm going to go listen to a Foo Fighters song. Oh, shit. <laughs> it doesn't sound as good. Yeah. So there's a huge element there of like, you got to keep in mind that a professionally made song is mixed by somebody who only mixes all day long is recorded by somebody who probably only records all day long Right. And the musicians in the room are probably musicians all day long. And then it goes to a guy who only masters all day long. Right. Because of course it's going to sound better. So when you're figuring out what to outsource so that you can major in your majors and minor in your minors, mastering is one of the first things I would say. You know, if, if you're in a situation where you're like, I just, I love making these songs, but then I sweat bullets right before I release the song when I'm not sure if it sounds good or not. And I can't remember which way is up. And I don't know if it's three in the morning or three in the in the afternoon. You know, this sort of like space cadet thing that happens when you've been in the studio all day. Yeah. Mastering is one of these easy things where you can just reach out to somebody at the last minute and say, hey, can you make sure this sounds good? And they can say, oh, yeah, sure. Well, let me adjust some stuff. Yeah. What I would say, my advice to you guys and to your listeners would, would say, I don't recommend relying on software for mastering. What I would recommend is doing a mastering contest. Most mastering engineers that are, you know, either really cheap or sort of middle of the road price-wise, or even a lot that are very expensive from time to time, will offer a free mastering sample, at least to most people. And you know, there's plenty of people out there that'll never offer a free mastering sample. And I, I don't really pay a ton of attention to this, other than knowing there are a lot of mastering engineers who master all day long that will master one song for free. My advice always to everyone is not spend 10 hours messing with software. It's send that song that you're almost done with out to 
three, four, five. I've had guys that have sent out mastering, you know, a mastering sample to a dozen or sometimes even more than 20 people, mm. get a free mastering sample back, see which one sounds the best. And at the worst case scenario, you're going to get them all back and be like, this one sounds the best. And it doesn't really sound better than what I did myself. Right. If that's the case, you might be one of these magical people that can do it on their own, but you still got to keep in mind, mastering is about consistency. It's about making a record that's a cinematic experience to listen to, which means you press play on song number one, and it sucks you into this virtual world, and you are there until the last song fades out, and then you have that moment of like, whoa, I'm back. Yeah. And a great mastering engineer can do that every time. A bad mastering engineer might make, a, might make one of the songs sound amazing and the rest sound like trash, or might make one of those songs sounds amazing in your studio monitors, but sound bad everywhere else. There's just an awful lot of variables to account for here. So the mastering contest of like, send a song out, get a bunch of free samples, see what it sounds like, you know, make sure you send one of those songs to chrisgrammastering.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, do you and, still, do you still have the, the side by side on your, on your, I do. I do. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. So doing, doing something like that can be this sort of like dose of reality to be like, okay, I did a pretty good job. Or, oh my God, I had no idea a professional mastering engineer could take my steaming pile of poo and make it into um, an unsteaming pile of poo. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and then you also have this idea of some albums, they're not always recorded in the same studio. You may uh, have... Yeah, that gets much more complicated. Yeah, recorded over here, and then it's up to the mastering engineer to make that whole album cohesive. Yeah, yeah. cohesive is the right word. Yeah. Like that's, that's really the job of a mastering engineer. And I think most of the time when someone's doing DIY... They, f they think it's just sounding good. Mm. Does it sound good? And there's the portability issue and there's the cohesiveness issue. Yeah. So I think it's something that's all, it's, it's one of the easiest problems to solve. Finding a good mixing engineer is a lot harder than finding a, a good mastering engineer because mi mixing engineers by and large don't do free test mixes on a large scale. It's, it's hard to find a really good mix engineer that will do a free test mix just because it's so time intensive. Mastering... If all you do is master all day long, it really doesn't take that much time. Right. It doesn't take me like I, I could do I could pretty easily do two records in a day if I had to. I rarely do, but I could. Right. Huh. How much now I can't say that they're over, but I can't we can't have a mastering conversation without coming up with the idea of the loudness wars. Um mm. how and like I said, I can't say that, that they're over, but we are a definitely closing out that chapter at least getting a little bit closer to it how much do you deal with that still that is a great question the loudness wars is this idea that back in the day kind of started in the 90s bands would say huh if we can get our mastering engineer to compress our music more it'll sound louder than previous songs on the radio or the next songs on the radio and that'll make people like us more and that just went on and on and on and on and on until eventually Metallica released a record. <laughs> and it, Death Magnetic. Yeah, Death Magnetic. It sounded terrible. And then some people were hanging out with their kids and they heard the unmastered version on Guitar Hero. And they were like, wait a minute, why does this song sound amazeballs on Guitar <laughs> Hero and terrible on my CD? And then everything started to crumble. And you mentioned Ian Shepard before yeah. he had a big piece in this of just pushing this idea that, again, you should be optimizing for goosebumps, not for like, let's make it super loud so that it, you know, people are like, wow, this record's louder and therefore better. Like, there's all these side effects. And back to this sort of doctor illustration and mastering, every sort of medication that you can take as a human, for the most part, is going to have negative side effects. When you're trying to make a song too loud in mastering, especially if there's mix issues, um, the side effects can get really substantial. That's one of the reasons with Chris Graham Mastering that we do a free mixing consultation before mastering to just sort of like walk the person that we're working with through, hey, you might turn this up, you might turn that down, or this is over, this is overly bright. You're not going to like how that sounds after mastering. It gives us an opportunity to make sure that the master sounds as good as possible because the mix is as good as possible. Yeah, it seems like it can accentuate if you've got a little uh, in the past of at least doing it myself. If there's something that's 
um, clipping a little tiny bit and it sounded okay in the mix. Like you're like, it's barely there. As soon as it was mastered, it's like, whoa. Yeah. It brings out the bad sometimes. Yeah. All the nuance comes forward in a master. You can yeah. hear all the like the intricacies of the recording and that it should be a good thing, but in some cases it can be like, oh, you didn't do any crossfades on your edits and there's pops and clicks that you couldn't hear before. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, well, guys, it's been crazy fun hanging out with you. I wish I had more time. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Chris. This has been amazing. Absolutely. Really, really do appreciate you coming on the show. It's, it's my pleasure, man. Yeah, really enjoyed having you. And thanks for shedding some light on the mystery of mastering. Mystery of mastering. I like the sound of that. <laughs> more alliteration. Awesome. So, Chris, if you could plug as much as you can. <laughs> Okay, if you guys have a home studio um, and you are mixing and mastering yourself, you should do a mastering contest. Go to chrisgrammastering.com. You can send me a song. I'll do a free sample. If you're trying to run a business in audio or a business in music in general, check out my podcast, Six Figure Home Studio. It's it's the best thing I do. <laughs> it's it's great. People it, tend to like it. It's true. Um, <laughs> and most of that's because my co-host is a freaking genius. So come uh, come hang with us. Yeah. Uh, anywhere podcasts are available. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good hanging out. Yeah. All right.